Welcome to the Peaceful Power Podcast. I'm your host, Andrea Clausen, and today I sit down with Sarah Lewis. The Peaceful Power Podcast is here to help you live a movement-based lifestyle, utilizing fitness, yoga, and Ayurvedic techniques. Each week, I will bring you a motivational guest or a solo show geared to help you take action to live that peaceful, powerful life. Sarah Lewis calls herself the uncool trainer. Um, she thinks that relieving pain by getting muscles to function correctly is really cool, and she's super into anatomy. So um, Sarah was awesome to talk to. We talked a lot about safety after having a baby and diastasis recti, rib and pelvis alignment, um, core training, what to do after C-sections, how to breathe properly. Um, we talked a lot about that. We also talked about, because she works with um, you know people who've had injuries, so a lot of PT type work, and she goes through if you have shoulder injuries and, you know, hip, knee type of injuries as well, kind of different strategies that you could use. So we chat a lot about postpartum fitness. So if that's anywhere in um, you or someone that you know, this is a great episode for people to tune into um, because it will help with that. So without further ado, here is today's episode. Welcome to the Peaceful Power Podcast. Today I'm with Sarah Lewis, and um, we are going to chat a lot of postpartum fitness, uh, which you know I'm very passionate about. So I am excited to have someone else on to kind of share some more postpartum fitness with everyone. So um, hi, Sarah. I'm going to kind of kick it over to you and tell us a little about your fitness background and how you kind of got into the fitness field. Okay. Hello, everyone. Um, I got into fitness when I was in college. I, I went into college as a biology major, but actually ended up switching to an exercise science major um, and started testing, you know, what specifically the road I wanted to go down then. I, I was a student athletic trainer. I volunteered in a physical therapy clinic. I learned how to teach group exercise in college. So I was kind of finding my way then. And I got the degree and that was, oh, 17 years ago now, <laughs> and I've been in fitness ever since. So I've worked in corporate fitness, I've worked in university setting, um, and I've owned my own business now for eight years. That's awesome. Yeah, very similar background to kind of myself as well, because I studied sports and exercise science 10 years ago, which is also quite hard to believe when you're like, wow, it goes fast right after it college. Does. <laughs> um, so what got you started with your own business? What was kind of that shift? At the time I was working at um, Georgetown University and I just, something was welling up inside me. I thought, you know, I really, I've been, you know, working for other people for so long and I really want to branch out and just kind of do my own thing. Um, I had recently moved to where I live now in Virginia and there weren't, that many personal trainers out where I lived. So I thought, well, I'm going to fill a need and do something different at the same time. That's awesome. Um, so then you, do you specialize in mostly postpartum women or just females in general? I, yeah, I'd say like 50% of my niche is the postpartum uh, training and the other 50% is corrective exercise. So I, I love clients who are trying to put off physical therapy or have just recently com completed physical therapy um, or they've just, they just feel tension all the time and they're looking for a way to get out of that or just those little aches and pains that it, they can't explain that I'm pretty sure they're muscular. <laughs> that I can find, find the reasons to help uh, relieve them of the pain. Oh, that's cool. So you're definitely an anatomy person then. 
love anatomy, anatomy yes. nerd. <laughs> that's what I was thinking. I was like, oh, definitely. That's lots of anatomy. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's awesome. And I know you call yourself the uncool trainer. Can you tell us why? I love that, by the way. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, it's basically because of my love of anatomy. I keep my anatomy book in my studio. So when I'm showing clients, I'm like, wait, just let me get my anatomy book and I'll show you. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I, I basically prioritize function and improved movement over like that calorie burn. So, I mean, my workouts are difficult, but they're, but they always have a reason for why we're doing this. Like I, we start with an assessment, we figure out what muscles are talking to the brain well. So I do muscle, muscle tests that actually test the brain to muscle relationship And if that's not working, then of course the muscle won't work correctly. (laughs) So we got to get that down, like the neurology behind it down before I give you exercises. But then all the exercises make sense because they're prescribed based on the tests that I've done and I've figured out what's going on with your muscles. Um, So that's my approach. It's more like, okay, well, let's get your foundation solid before we start putting the wrong exercises on it. So let's, let's get you on the right path so that movement feels better and exercise is appropriate for you. Mm. And you do that with every client that comes into your gym then? I do. Yep. That's the starting point. That's awesome. And then when you go about like creating plans, um, you know, for your clients, do you go about like a year program or how do you do your programming? I'm always kind of curious as trainers, I've heard both, you know, good and bad and, you know, what I personally do as well, but like the long-term approach or hey, I always know they're going to be missing a session or they're not going to get all their workouts in. So I plan more week by week. How do you usually set up your planning? I usually do it week by week because, yeah, I mean, <laughs> I do the same. And, and life happening yes. is just is just crazy. And you put if I spent the time putting together a year long plan, like there's no way that that would last more than maybe two months. Yeah. <laughs> yep. um, so uh, but the assessment that I do gives my clients um, homework because I want them, it's kind of like going to a chiropractor. Like you want to do it a lot in the beginning um, to establish that good brain to muscle relationship and then you can taper off. So, so they do have homework that takes about like five, maybe 10 minutes a day that they're supposed to do daily when they don't see me. So that's at least in the beginning to get everything um, operating correctly. Mm. Yeah, that makes sense. I do the same with, I kind of do plan out a month ahead, um, basically for usually at the end of every month, I kind of plan people's months and then sometimes last minute vacations come up. And I was telling this cause I, um, sometimes work with new trainers and I kind of coach them and I was telling them, you know, cause they're like, Oh, I should do all of these meso and macro and all of these levels. And I'm like, you know what, you're going to find out that, you know, people are, it's very hard to do that because people schedule vacations last minute. People go on last minute work trips. You know, that's just not life. It's very hard to plan, you know, your fitness routine that much to a T. And I think that goes for anyone too, if they travel a lot for work and not feeling like they're losing ground because they're doing that, you know, and just kind of building in that fitness into what they can do. Yeah. And then there's sickness that you can throw on top of that. And yep. Or kids getting sick. Yeah. A million ways to derail the program. (laughs) Oh yeah. Yes. So I'm going to talk a little, um, like core training for in particular, the postpartum mom. Um, what does that kind of look like? And you can break it down into phases, like, you know, those first few months, the first year, um, however you kind of set up your postpartum training. Yeah. So core training is of course way more than just the abdominal muscles. So, 
Um, I and break will you it tell down. everyone when you consider core, what do you consider core? Just so everyone has kind of that frame of reference. Yeah, so it's basically everything from your shoulders to your butt, <laughs> mm -hmm. um, I guess. So and we're front and back. Yeah, so yeah. we're talking like the ribs, we're talking the diaphragm, we are talking all the abdominal muscles as well, um, but the pelvic floor and hips are just as important as everything else. So everything from the pits to the hips, I guess, is a good descriptor. Yes. Um, and then yes. what do you usually do for that? Like, do you have a particular, um, you know, hey, let's start with stabilizing first, or what do you usually do, or any tests that you do with people? I always prioritize the transverse abdominus muscle um, because if that one is not working, and that's, as you know, like the major core stabilizer, if that one's not working, then there's low back pain, there's all, a host of issues that could be happening and then and then your core can't stabilize and if that if the one muscle that's supposed to be doing its job isn't then nothing else is going to work very well um so i prioritize that in testing my postpartum moms and i often find that to be offline and so that needs to be strengthened but the muscle that's overriding it also needs to be relaxed, massaged, released. So a lot of times that can be the lower back muscles. Um, it can be actually the glutes. Um, it can be the diaphragm. So the testing is figuring out what muscle is overactive and shutting off the function of the transverse abdominus. So that's priority number one. Um, and this, these little tests can be done, you know, as soon as you're cleared from your from your doctor. So. You're four weeks out, six weeks out, whatever it may be, and I do those tests. And then it's very simple exercises like leg slides. Um, um, let's see, getting and getting your core back into uh, alignment. So a lot of it is just practicing simple things like like breathing and keeping your ribs in alignment, keep getting the muscles that work on your pelvis back into alignment. Um, those are like those that, that first few months, like when you're truly getting back into exercise, you're newly, newly postpartum. Those are the things I work on. Mm -hmm. And then in terms of like core training, I think most people think crunches and planks. I'm not a fan of doing these right away postpartum. And I tell people stay away from them. But I think sometimes we as women just get so excited to kind of, this is the way to do it. Um, you know, what is advice for you or what advice do you give to your clients? Like, Hey, this is why we should kind of stay away from those for, you know, potentially up to a year or so until your core is strong enough. Yeah, I definitely agree with you. Um, it, and I think it's still just a matter of, a matter of education. And mm -hmm. uh, unfortunately the, um, physicians don't tell you anything about fitness training after you. Oh, <laughs> I know it drives me nuts. <laughs> Yeah, they're like, see you in a year for your annual checkup. Yes. You're like, okay, uh, what do I do, yes. <laughs> do next? Um, so, so your abs are going to be weak after pregnancy. I mean, it's just, it's just a fact of life. And the way you rehab them is what's super important. And the planks and crunches are just too intense um, for those tissues in your abdominals when you're newly postpartum. So that's, I mean, that's why you want to stay away from them. You can get... Um, you can make a diastasis worse uh, with that pressure that you're putting on them with planks and crunches because that tissue just isn't strong enough to to support that uh, mm -hmm. movement. Um, 
so yeah, and that's another good reason why, like, it, when you're checking for diastasis, that you check not only for the gap, but you also check for the function of the linea alba, like that tissue in the middle of your rectus abdominis muscle. Um, and that's another thing that I think more women need to be educated on is when you're doing that diastasis check with your fingers and your belly button and moving up and down the linea alba that you're not just feeling for the gap, but you're also feeling like, well, if I lift my head and exhale, contract my pelvic floor and put all that together like as a functional unit, um, then how does that tissue feel? Like, does it feel like a trampoline? Is it springy? Well, then, then you're good. But if you're, if it's still super squishy, um, then the work needs to be done because that tissue can't generate any tension. Mm, yes. This is one that, um, you know, I, when I first started, I think probably my first or second year of training, I had a client, um, I trained her for a wedding and then she got pregnant pretty much right after a wedding. And I remember telling my mom, like, Oh, I got my first pregnant client. And my mom's like, do you know what to do? I was like, bah. I mean, I, don't, <laughs> I just assume train them like everyone else. So that was my first, like, Oh, there's, I should be looking into this. And the same thing with postpartum. So after she had the baby, like I got to be looking into all of this stuff. And, um, so that was, I'm kind of thankful now cause that's been 10 years of me now studying it. And, um, you know, I am quite shocked of how many people and even clients, you know, that I've talked to them about this and they're like, yeah, my doctor never even mentioned it once or didn't even check me for it, um, you know, at that six week checkup. And so um, I'm like, yeah, that's kind of, you know, it's such a disservice. And if people didn't have a trainer or, you know, anyone at the gym who said, hey, let's check for this, they wouldn't even know. And I think that's something that um, we as professionals have to get the word out a little bit more just so we can be conscious of that. And if we're getting that bulge feeling, um, you know, I did at like nine months postpartum. Um, and I was like, oh, I probably am not, I'm not ready for these. It was like an incline crunch. And I was like, okay, I have been totally fine doing everything else, but this one is clearly a no-go yet. And yeah. so it's little things like that, like listening to our bodies and just being aware of it rather than trying to push through because pushing through is not always great, especially in that early postpartum time period. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And then what is the, so, um, for everyone who doesn't know, so that diastasis recti, like how to check it, um, in particular, if they want to check themselves, can you explain kind of that whole procedure? Yeah. So to check for diastasis, it's a, it's a stretching of the tissue that runs literally like right down the middle of your abdomen, like through your belly button. And you just lie on your back. Um, you put, you can start with two or three fingers. You're just going to stick them like wide ways across your belly button and you do a, like the tiniest crunch possible. Like your shoulder blades don't leave the floor. You just lift your head and you feel for your ab muscles to kind of squeeze gently onto the edges of your fingers. So if you start with three and you feel it, then go down to two. Um, if you, and then if that's, if you don't feel the ab muscle kind of giving you a hug, giving your fingers a hug, <laughs> um, then you're probably at a three finger gap and two is about normal. Um, but if you're super new postpartum, I have had clients who are like a four finger gap. Um, so it just depends on what point postpartum you are and what kind of rehab you're doing. Um, but yeah. you also want to measure about two inches above your belly button and about two inches below. So you do the same thing. You just put your fingers there, lift your head a tiny bit, feel for those muscles to contract and just measure the gap. 
And that gives you your baseline. But then, as I was saying earlier, you also want to check the tension of, the, of that linea alba tissue. So um, as you lift your head, you're exhaling, you're pulling your pelvic floor up. So you're contracting those, that deep core musculature. And you want to feel if you're like springy, like if your fingers feel like they're hitting like a trampoline. Um, or if you can push down into your belly. So tension is good, so you want springy like a trampoline, and if you're not generating the tension, then you probably want to look to the transverse abdominis, that strength there, um, and still avoid the planks and crunches because it's just your body's just not there yet. Mm. And what about Kegels? What's your uh, thought on those? Um, they go both ways. Um, and Sometimes your pelvic floor can be like hypertoned up and those muscles actually need to be massaged <laughs> or sometimes they can be weak and then they need to be strengthened. So Kegels strengthen, um, but if you have the opposite problem, um, then you need massage. So I think that's a really good time to, I send my clients out to a pelvic floor specialist um, so that they can do that internal exam and figure out what exactly is going on internally. Mm. Yeah, that's something that I um, wasn't aware of until the birthing process myself, because I uh, was not progressing super fast when I was in labor, and um, I was doing it unmedicated, and the, the doctor came in, and we were almost at 24 hours in labor at this point, and my water had broke when I came into the hospital, so they try not to let you go much more than 24 hours um, if your water breaks, and um I remember she was like, uh, you're going to have to get an epidural if you don't figure out how to loosen your transverse abdominis. You know, that's the baby's getting stuck because you're just keeping everything tight. <laughs> and I'm like, hmm, like I'm in the middle of labor. I'm just like, don't know how I'm going to loosen this. I have no idea. But it's like my body somehow was like, okay, thanks for that tip. And then I somehow figured out like he was born probably within the next two hours of her telling me that. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I'm like, wow, my body's amazing for a understanding it and being able to do that. Um, but I had never realized like, okay, this could be an issue. And then after I researched it, I was like, oh, this is quite common with athletes who like I've been doing planks for years. And so my transverse is always on. And I, when I read about the breathing stuff, I'm like, man, I wish I would have done more of this myself. Cause typically, you know, when I'm working with people, it's not, it's quite opposite of what I had. And so I'm like, wow, this is great to kind of see the flip side of it. So now I'm much more aware when I work with clients, like, okay, you could be too tight and we need to know how to relax and release that. Um, you know, what is kind of your tips for that in terms of the breathing patterns and how we should actually be breathing? Yeah. So breathing will play a huge role in helping to, to rehab your core. Um, and it will help heal a diastasis if you have one. So, so of course breathing should be made mostly powered by your diaphragm and not like your chest muscles. So I'm, I always just like to put my clients on the floor and just watch them breathe. And I see where the movement is coming from. Like if you're inhaling, your belly should rise, your, the sides of your ribs should expand wide. And on the exhale, it should all relax. And your chest and like neck muscles, neck muscles especially should be very quiet. They, you really don't want them contributing to, to breathing, but they'll help if they have to. <laughs> Um, cause someone's going to pick up the slack somewhere in your body. Um, so yeah, so just, I like to have my, so other than watching, other than watching my clients, I like to have them put their hands on their sides of their ribs and just breathe normally and feel 
if they're if they're getting air into their hands like if their ribs expand gently and getting the air into their hands um, then they're doing good sideways breathing um, so it's not always just about the belly breath it needs to be a 360 degree around your rib cage breath like breathing into the floor um, and of course good deep breaths will help circulate oxygen and lower just uh, your stress levels and relax your nervous system so that can usually be high on uh, on high alert <laughs> if you've got little kids running around and everyone's pulling for your attention so it's like just give yourself like three minutes find like a quiet spot or whatever and take some deep breaths um, and to help restore that that breathing pattern because we have we all have like super tension in our necks and if we're not breathing well it's contributing to that and it just becomes this like vicious cycle mm. Yes, that's, I was just practicing breathing as you were talking. I was like, okay, let me work on this. Because I think that's just so important. And in yoga, we do, um, it's called the three-part breath. And so I always knew I was horrible the first time I learned it. I'm like, wow, I'm really not breathing into my belly, which I don't think a majority of us do. Because usually when I teach them that, that's the hardest thing. Because we kind of do, um, you know, breathe into your chest, ribs, belly, exhale, belly, ribs, chest. And um, just trying to do that and really empty the different three parts. And, um, you know, like that can be quite a challenge and taking the time to kind of practice that or learn that, you know, like I started laying on my back. Cause I think that is easier when you're first trying to breathe into it. Cause you can feel if your back is actually hitting the ground or, you know, are you getting that, you know, 360 degree kind of movement or are you just staying in your chest, which I think a lot of us tend to do. Yeah. And I, and I had one client who was getting good expansion on one side on on the one side of her ribs but not the other like the other side was not doing anything so so i had her lay over a bosu like those are the half the half balls for for those of you listening that don't don't know what the bosus are um but i had her block that side so the the side that she was breathing well on i had her lay on so that it forced the air to go to the other side that she was not restricting so it was like okay let's teach this side to get more oxygen and this can expand and improve the breath that way. Oh, I like that. That's a good idea. Yeah. So let's talk about kind of the ribs and pelvis alignment. What does, like, what does that look like to have good rib and pelvis alignment? I like to, I like to think of it as an egg. I actually have a video on my YouTube channel of this, but if you think of like just those plastic Easter eggs <laughs> that you can take in half, the top half of the egg, um, if you lift it up, I represents like your diaphragm. It makes that dome shape Yep. Um, and your ribs are around that. And then if you take the bottom half off, it's a little bowl and that can represent your pelvic floor. Um, and if you, if you snap them on perfectly and fit, they'll fit down together and that, that plastic egg will, uh, shut. But if you put, if you put that top part on any sort of angle whatsoever, then the egg is not going to shut or essentially function correctly. So that top part, think of that as your ribs. So if your ribs are poking out, they're on an angle at all, um, it doesn't talk well with the pelvic floor and you need the, the diaphragm on the top and the pelvic floor on the bottom with the ribs surrounding it all um, to work like an up and down motion. And you don't want your ribs pointing out or flaring. So if they're flaring, um, it, it, it's a, well, it's a cascade of muscular imbalances that are happening in your, your, your core unit, um, again, because it's more than just the abs, is just not functioning well. The breath is going weird. 
It's not going straight down into your pelvic floor, so your pelvic floor can't respond well. Um, so yeah, it all goes back to, to getting your ribs over your pelvis. So if you even if you're lying on your back and you feel like your ribs are sticking out, it's about trying to press your ribs gently down into the floor to get them in alignment and then learning what that feels like and then applying it to, well, of course, while you're exercising, keeping your ribs down. Um, as well as just daily life. It's just an awareness that you just have to work on. I had a, I had a big rib flare um, that I consciously had to work on. And if I was doing, let's say the lat pull down machine, where you reach up and pull your arms down, that was very easy for me to like arch my back, stick my ribs out. Um, and I really had to work on like owning the rib position, like locking <laughs> them down yes. and, and pulling my arms down. Mm. That's... Um that's something that I also didn't know I had. I had a rib flare and I just thought I was like, oh, I was born this way. And I remember after um, I gave birth, I saw a PRI. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with the Postural Restorative Institute. I saw one of um, our trainers at our gym is certified in that. And he was like, whoa, we got to get this rib down. And I'm like, what do you mean? I was born this way. Like, this is how it is. He's like, no, this, you've developed this over years of, you know, something going wrong. I'm like, oh, well, I remember this since high school and, um, you know, I have to consciously now, like, cause I'll notice it will go out, but I can get it back in. So it is something where if you are paying attention to those little movements, just as you said, cause you know, how many times, like if you go to yoga, are your arms up over your head? Mm -hmm. A lot of the times, if you look at people, a lot of people's ribs flare instead of just being like, Oh, we got to tuck those in. Cause I, whenever I do private one-on-one -on -one session, you know, with, clients who do yoga that's immediately the first thing that people do is just pop the ribs out pop the chest out and then I'm like nope we got to bring that back in and then all of a sudden they're like wow I can feel my core working I'm like mm -hmm. that's the goal of those moves and it's the same thing when we do exercise moves you know when our hands are above like those ribs want to pop out but we got to keep those down and engaged and I think it is something that you know once you're aware of it you can kind of start you know putting your hands on your ribs and noticing oh I do have a flare Okay, I got to work on, I just had it on one side, which is also probably common. So making sure that you're making, you know, that one side work a little bit more and trying to, you know, counter, counterbalance, I guess, the whatever is going on in your body. Yeah. And also and, you were talking about, um, you know, you felt like that had been like all your life. And, and that's another, another point that I tried to make like through my blog and whatever else that these little like posture related things start happening so young oh yeah and they and they can cause problems then but you don't realize it until much later in life and then it's either pain showing up and you're like why do I hurt yes <laughs> um or yeah or or you get injured or you notice these things and you're like no they've they've actually been there all my life and it's yeah because they started when you were young and you didn't know it and you didn't know what to do about it until now Yes. That's yeah. Those little things. And I've noticed that too with, you know, Oh, after talking to his name is Brent and the PRI, like, Whoa, your hip hurts because you know, you don't have that ankle mobility. He's like, did you sprain that ankle? I was like, well, years ago, but I mean, I was like 16 and he's like, well, you're still seeing side effects from it. Cause my foot rotates in so bad. It was pulling my whole hip off. You mm -hmm. know, it's little things like that, that I'm like, who knew like 15 plus years later, that shows up in your body because of those movement patterns. Yep. Um, and that's something that if we can kind of stop some of that, you know, by the time, you know, you're in your eighties, cause I work with some, you know, 80, 90 year olds that that pain doesn't have to be there that some of them have. Yeah. 
So yeah, a lot of it is, mu is just figuring out what, what muscles are overactive and which ones are underactive and just restoring that harmony. And oh yeah. Yeah. Do you work with a lot of that? Like, you know, trying to um, get people those underlying issues. Is that something that you're pretty much doing then with the rehab so they don't go to PT or maybe they've went to PT and they just stopped going? E yes. Um, yeah. So know. my training is in, it's called neurokinetic therapy. Um, and, and so that's where I learned all the muscle tests and how, and the protocol on how to figure out which muscles are uh, relating to others. But yeah, for example, I had a client with a a shoulder injury. She had been to physical therapy. Um, and then it, it felt better after physical therapy, but not great. And I said, well, let me just test, you know, the shoulder muscles and figure out um, what I can find. And she had like layers of dysfunction that we had to mm. work through, but I got her to the point where she can now move her shoulder like 360 degrees without pain but it's like well <laughs> we had to take multiple steps to get there so it took you know like a good four months but I but I figured it out and it was all just the muscles like well this one is overriding the function of all these other ones like her it was her middle deltoid um it was shutting down the function of like four or five different muscles well okay well of course you're gonna have shoulder pain if these muscles can't do their job <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes. Oh, that's so another question with this um, type of training. So one of the things that I have found, like any of those little like the PT moves, the rehab moves, how do you get people to actually do them? Because I think a lot of times, you know, with good intention, we try to start out doing these moves. But how do you get people to actually stick to that program? When they're with me, it's their warm up. Like Ooh, they don't have a choice. Idea. Here's how you're warming up. You're either going to use a tennis ball and massage this spot, or you're going to self-massage. You know, just rubbing the area if if it's the muscle that needs to be released, and then we're going to follow that up with the strengthening exercises. Um, that's your warm up. <laughs> so they don't they don't get out of it with me. Um, about half of my clients are good about doing doing it at home, um, and half aren't. And the ones that aren't good about doing it at home just have slower progress. Mm. They, they get there eventually. It's just slower. So the highly motivated ones are like, wow, it's only been two weeks and, and this is feeling so much better. And I'm like, yeah, cause you're doing your homework. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's one of the ones that I, cause I'll send people to do some PRI work. And that was, it's probably about the same with me. Like half of them will do the homework and half won't. And it's the same thing. You know, people are suddenly like, holy moly, I feel better. And others are like, it didn't work. I'm like, but you didn't, do it. You know, I'm like, you can't just go once every two weeks and think it's going to be better. Yeah. Um, and that's the hard thing. Cause when I was doing it too, like I made sure I was doing it because I saw him every day at the gym. Um, but it is like little meticulous kind of work with some of those moves. And so just kind of knowing, okay, this is for, you know, my health or I don't want to be in pain or maybe first thing in the morning might be the easiest to do some of those moves. Yeah. Yeah. And the fact that it's only like five minutes, it's not like a half an hour type of work. It's yeah. like five minutes. I know you have five minutes in your busy day. Okay? <laughs> yes. I really want you to feel better. So can you spare me five, five minutes to do this? <laughs> yes. Even at work, if you're like, I need a five minute break, just do your little exercises. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So um, kind of wrapping up, I want to do talk about um, women who have had C-sections because I don't know if I've really talked a ton about um, C-sections. Mm -hmm. So what are some of the ways that they can return safely 
um, to fitness and, you know, do you recommend a little bit, obviously they have a little bit longer recovery. Um, is there anything that you are definitely like you should hold off even longer with the C-section before engaging in anything? No. Um, I had, I had a C-section myself. The, mm. the biggest thing that I have been finding with myself and my clients is the C-section scar tissue. Oh yes. So the, the brain sees scar tissue as a very overactive area because you're, you're cut open. Obviously it's a major surgery. And so the brain sends a lot of attention to that surgical scar and it's, it's like working to heal it. It's doing everything it's supposed to, but the, the problem comes in and is where the brain doesn't know how to stop or how to let go or say, okay, that area is healed and repaired. So now I can move on to other things. Like the brain just doesn't have that mechanism to do that. So then your scar tissue becomes this hyperactive area that the brain is still sending information to. And then <laughs> it shuts down the work of the transverse abdominis. Mm. So here's, here's my scenario. I was, um, I was two years uh, postpartum. I was going through this neurokinetic therapy training and I, I wanted my transverse abdominis to be tested. So the instructor for the course tested my transverse abdominis and it failed. Um, like I, I could not resist any manual resistance, not like, not like 50 pounds of pressure, but like literally manual resistance. It just, my transverse just failed. So you, you're like, what? I'm a fitness professional. I, I can yeah. do all these things like, and, but I literally can't resist manual pressure. So I was like, okay, <laughs> wake up call. <laughs> um, but what we found through the testing is that it was my C-section scar overriding the function of my transverse wow. abdominis. So the homework became massage my scar tissue. I had like a little area where it had been um, numb uh, for a few months, you know, as I was re recovering. Um, so that was like the hyper spot that I needed to massage and rub. And it's the massaging is teaching your brain to, to let go, like just relax this area. It, and then you have to teach the other muscle, in my case, the transverse abdominis to do its job. So um, I have been finding this exact scenario on clients who are 15 years postpartum. They have a kid in college. Um, and I'm like, okay, well, let's test your core because that's the base of, that's the foundation of everything. It fails. I'm like, have you ever had a C-section? They're like, yeah. Wow. <laughs> so we're talking like 20 some years later. Um, the C-section scar is still the overactive area and just needs to be calmed down. And it's again, like we just need to get this education out to more women because how, how else do you know that? Like, yeah. You know, like it just needs to, the information just needs to be shared. Yes. I saw something on um, the Today Show probably a few weeks ago now. Um, and I'm usually never home in the morning, but I happened to catch it. And they talked about a new thing with C-sections. And so I watched it and it was about scar tissue and that um, people were discovering when women were coming in for hysterectomies um, that they were having a trouble with women who had multiple C-sections just because of the scar tissue buildup. And they were like, this is kind of a concern now that we're going to have to really pay attention to because they were having trouble, you know, getting in there just because of that. And so I'm like, wow, that's something again, that never would have, you know, crossed our mind that, okay, we really got to be paying attention to, you know, it's not just like a, 
you know, wham, bam, there's your child, get on with your life. Like you actually need to be doing something with the scar tissue so it doesn't build up, which I think massage definitely would probably help. They didn't really say uh, how this can, you know, how you can actually help yourself. They just said, if possible, try not to get a C-section, you know, obviously, <laughs> unless medically needed. And that was kind of their advice. And so obviously the woman sitting next there was like, well, I had a C-section and, you know, I would, I had to, you know, and so that's kind of the, you know, that's the reality of our situation is that sometimes we do need a C-section and what are we going to do? So it's kind of an interesting um, story, but the takeaway was about the scar tissue and that we need to start kind of paying attention to that. So hopefully that will come to, you know, in the future, people being like, okay, what can we do to help, you know, with self-massage? Like, I don't think I've ever heard that before, but that would make sense. Yeah. And I mean, you don't have to be a professional. I'm not, I don't have any massage training, but it's literally just giving that area a little bit of a rub as soon as it's healed. Um, Yeah. You just one minute, like literally 60 seconds, rub it for 60 seconds across the scar. Um, and that's, and that's it. And then do like leg slides or a dead bug or something like that to turn the transverse on. But yeah. So for C-section the clients, uh, I'm like, okay, well, <laughs> as a general recommendation, you better mis- start massaging that scar because who knows this could last if you don't. Uh, and then how, um, long, like four weeks or when do you start massaging it right away? As soon as you're comfortable. Okay. I mean, def- that the wound definitely probably 100% healed. Yeah. Um, yeah. Perfect. That's definitely good advice. So in case anyone out there is kind of like, okay, and is it too late? It's never too late to start doing this. So maybe someone's had a C-section 20 years ago. It's fine to start doing. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, ideally they would get tested to see if the scar is related to the, the function of the transverse abdominis. Um, okay. Yeah. It's not going to hurt anything to rub mm-hmm. that area. Um, if it is 20 years later, but um, if they have low back pain 20 years later, it, mm. then we're talking, mm, that's a high possibility. <laughs> mm, that's all, Yeah, that's good. Good to know. So if people are looking to kind of connect with you, where can they find more information um, from you at? I am at mixfitness.com. Um, that's my website. And I'm also on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram as at mixfitness. Perfect. I'll put that all in the show notes. And then finally, the last question, um, I always like to give a little weekly challenge to the listeners. So when I have guests on, I have you guys throw out a little weekly challenge. What would you like that to be today? Um, I would like that to be just being aware of your alignment through your core, um, keeping your ribs down, um, and just and breathing. Oops. <laughs> breathing with your um, ribs down and just working on how that feels. Perfect. That'll be a perfect one. So that way everyone can kind of get in touch with that. And um, even if you look up like how to breathe into the ribs, I'm sure there's tons of different YouTube videos out there as well as the one that you had on your page with the egg, just so people can kind of get a little feel for what that might look like. Yeah. Perfect. Well, thank you so much, Sarah. It's been such a pleasure chatting with you. And everyone go out there and spread your peaceful power. Thank you so much for listening to the Peaceful Power podcast. And if you want more information about today's show, head on over to andreaclawson.com, where you can also find my free guide to working out for your body type. 
And if you haven't already, I would love it if you could rate and review the show over on iTunes and share it with any of your friends that you think would benefit from hearing the peaceful power message. Thanks again, and go out there and spread your peaceful power.